podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, pod friends, and welcome along to another episode of Eurotales. This week, in part one, we are taking a look at the happenings in the League of Talents. Ligue 1 in France has exploded back into action. Strasbourg, under Chelsea ownership and Patrick Vieira at the helm, how far can they go? Lawns have procured a spectacular attacking weapon in Eli Wahi for the Champions League campaign to replace Belgian Louis Appenda. Lyon are in disarray and Rennes look the business in the early running. We talk to the brilliant Baptiste Renaud from the official Ligue 1 podcast. In part two, we're off to League One in England. There is a club on the rise in England's League One. Under the guidance of rookie manager Sean Maloney, Wigan have had a turbulent time in recent years, which saw them smacked with an eight-point deduction to start the season. But after an unbeaten commencement to this season, that deficit is already wiped off the board. We are graced with the presence of Charlie Keegan from the Wigan Central blog and podcast to get the lowdown. Let's get into it. The League of Talents is back in France. After two game weeks, there's already plenty to talk about, especially with the hustle and the bustle of the transfer window still open. We call up with Baptiste Renault to pick his brain. This week, we are graced by Ligue 1, fountain of knowledge, the magnificent Baptiste Renard, to discuss some of the early talking points in French football this season. Baptiste is a regular piece of furniture on the official Ligue 1 podcast. Baptiste, thank you so much for your time. How are you, my friend? And I'm how happy are you that Ligue 1 is back? I'm great. Thanks, Liam. Uh, all All's well. Ligue 1 started with a bang, I think, over the first two two games. There's obviously lots of games happening today. So, uh, yeah, very excited. And thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thanks for your time. We'll start, Baptiste, with um, Strasbourg. Yeah. Following an underwhelming season last year, they are certainly one of the teams to keep an eye on this season. Tell our listeners about the exciting summer the French club has just enjoyed. So, you know, Strasbourg had a great season two seasons ago with uh, Julien Stéphane, who had managed uh, Rennes before and who's the son of Deschamps' assistant manager, Guy Stéphane, um, where they finished sixth or seventh, I think. And last season was just terrible for them. But Stéphane and, and Marc Keller, who's, been a, who's an ex-player and has been at the head of the club for a, a while now since... The, the time they dropped into the third tier, uh, have built something sustainable. They built an academy. You've got young players coming through. And over the summer, they were purchased by the Todd by Todd Bailey's group, um, which you never know what that's going to mean. But, you know, they, they kept Mark Keller at the club, which I think is a big statement of intent. And obviously, that brought in extra cash and uh, links with Chelsea. So... They've benefited from that by spending a good amount of money um, and and bringing a player on loan from um, from Chelsea. Rumors that they were going to get uh, uh, Ugo Chokwu from 
from Chelsea, who'd just been purchased from Rennes as well on loan, haven't proven true yet. But they've had a really interesting summer because they've really targeted young players. Um, Emega and Adams, uh, I think it's Adams, and um, other players that they've signed are sort of in their, in their 20s and, and have a real desire to, to, to push on through. And they still have a group of... Uh, oldies who know what the club represent, the, especially Kevin Camero, who's 34-35, but was brought through the ranks at Strasbourg, loves the club, obviously enjoyed a, a great career outside of France, came back to Strasbourg, and is still you know, good for 10 to 12 goals a season if he starts every game, but he's, his time is managed, but he still knows what the club represents. So it's a nice mix of, um, of players at the club. It's an ambitious quietly ambitious club i think they were well aware of what happened last season and uh, they're just sort of building slowly and they brought in patrick Vieira, who obviously has his critics um but you know his time at the city group i think is benefiting him in the sense of working for a broader group than the club and and he's got an emphasis on young young players whether that was at nice or crystal palace he was keen on developing young players and getting them to play the right way. So really, really encouraging signs for, for Strasbourg. I think the key concern people will have is will they keep their identity? Will they become a feeder club? You know, we've seen Trois in France who uh, who are part of the city group sort of disintegrate, frankly, and, and um, fans feeling completely disconnected because of the lack of strategy and the lack of identity which is a real shame. I think Strasbourg have an even, even bigger stature in the France game, if with all due respect to Trois. And they're a club with a genuinely great identity. I mean, they dropped to the, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth tier, I think uh, a decade ago. And they were still bringing in, you know, fifteen to 20,000 people uh, in the stands that, you know, every other week. And there's a real enthusiasm for the club it's the big club in the east of france obviously you've got mess as well nasty has fallen by the wayside but there's real love for that club and i mean it's a great stadium so there's uh there's hope that they will you know they will keep what makes them special how far do you think them and patrick vieira can go this season but, you know i think league this year um you obviously have a top two i would say uh you've got PSG, who are obviously the favourites, and you've got Marseille, who I think are really well equipped. I know they've struggled in Europe, and and that was a big shock to them, and they should have gone through against Panathinaikos. They were also deeply unlucky, I think, um, as they were against Mess on Friday. But I think they're well armed to to challenge PSG. I think outside of those those two, between third and tenth, I think. If there's a positive dynamic to the club and a positive dynamic to the training ground and to the work that's under undertaking at a, a club, then there's no reason why a good run of games, a good run of wins can't take you uh, really high. I think Strasbourg, you know, I think Patrick Vieira uh, tends to have a pattern so far to his managerial career, which is a, a really good first first season, lots of enthusiasm, development of youngsters and a bit more of a struggle in his second season. But he wants to play the right way. I think his the game against Lyon was was a good indicator that some good work has happened on the training training ground, and there's no reason why they can't push up. Um, you know, I I don't 
They're not a club I foresee having a real difficulty in staying up this year. I think there's too much talent, and there's also too much. There's a lot of cohesion there that I'm that I'm feeling. I think there's a positive dynamic at the club, and and they can push up. As to whether Vieira is the the right man to take them uh, as high as possible, it depends what you're aiming for, I suppose. I mean, if Strasbourg are aiming for sixth or fifth, I don't see any reason why he can't bring them, and I think that's within their that's within their remit. You mentioned there momentum is very big in Liga or last year. Launching, culminating in Champions League qualification. In many aspects, they were victims of their own success, losing hotshot Belgian striker Luce Appenda to the Bundesliga and Fofana to the riches of Saudi Arabia. But they've been mooted to be strongly linked with Eli Wahi from Montepelli. Can he fill those shooting boots left vacant by Openda? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's you know he's got a pedigree in Ligue 1 so far, and he scored 19 goals last season, 10 the previous season for a club like Montpellier, who, again, with all due respect, you know, struggled over the last sort of 18 months or so. So there's there's real promise. I think he was also playing pretty much as a lone striker, which is similar to the system that uh, Franck Ez likes to deploy. He'll, he'll have support maybe in Sotoka. So I'm really enthusiastic about that signing. Um, you know, it, it's also a great sign that a, a French club making... Uh, making the Champions League also has the desire to spend big after earning a lot of money from from sales from Appenda and and Fofana. The fact that Lance are ready to cough up thirty to thirty five million euros to buy one of the you know up and coming stars of of Liga, I think, is a great sign for the league. And I think I think he will fit in fit in really well. I'm I'm also confident of that because I, I rate Franck Ez so highly. And because he kind of fits, you know, the strikers they have had over the last few years, he kind of fits that mold. We, you know, obviously Openda is a relatively similar type of player. Um, they had, uh, who did they have before that? They had uh, Kalim Wendo um, on loan, who's a similar type, you know, similar type of build and, and mo- you know, very movement focused rather than a, you know, big target man. So for those reasons, I'm I'm confident. Um, and, and to me, this is the... You know, this is the position that they had the most need for. They needed a striker. I think the rest of the team, I know they lost Fofana, who's a big blur from a leadership perspective and, and obviously turned up for the for the big games. But he wanted to go. And uh, Stein Spearings, I think, is a great signing. He's a very, very underrated midfielder in Niga. And um, and so they needed to fill the Openda hole uh, that was left. And, and they have now... I think to be fair as well, Openda he had a he had a relatively uh, difficult moment last season. He had a run of of not scoring. He ended the season full of confidence and and playing beautifully. And I think um, I remember watching him against against PSG and he was leading the line on his own and they were down to ten men and he gave Marquinhos the run around all game. So obviously you're missing a player who's full of confidence. But I think in Eliwahi it's as it's as good a replacement as you can find at the moment. And Lons, a, a team on the up. Leon, they look in a bit of trouble at this early <laughs> stages. Uh, Lauren Blanc, the manager, I listened to his uh, press conference yesterday. He was get, again demanding for their transfer activity. What is going on at Leon, one of the famous names in French football? Just years of, years of stagnation, I think, uh, at Lyon. 
uh, towards the end with Olas. Uh, I would call that um, some big club delusion as well. The the sense that they're big enough that they don't need to progress and they don't need to be smarter than every now everyone else. They don't need to be more progressive than anyone else, which is a real shame because from I would say from '95 to tw- 2015, Lyon were ahead of everyone else in Liga. That's what made them so special. They did similar things to what uh, Lens are doing at the moment, or Rennes are doing, which was target the French market for players, not necessarily French players, but Sony players who were playing in France. And they've just failed to do that. And I think you, at the moment, you were seeing a really confused club in all its decision-making. I think John Textor is obviously learning on the job as well as to how to run a club in France. And he's had a nasty surprise with the DNCG. Which is, which is part and parcel of learning when you take on a new business, in this case, as as awful as it sounds to call it a business, when you take on a new business in a new jurisdiction, you've got to learn the quirks, and uh, he's having to learn fast. And I think just the decision-making all around, I think Mathieu Louis-Jean is, is a good, so far he's doing quite well as a sporting director. Some of his signings that he's targeted make a lot of sense. But... You know, Laurent Blanc is not the answer. I think we knew that when he signed. I think we're seeing it yet again. And there's a mix of players that are not working, I think. Um, You know, it's interesting to see that they have a mix of experience and youth, just like Strasbourg have, and we'll see how Strasbourg get along. But it's it's not connecting. I think for me, there's a complete absence of leadership at all levels. Uh, Laurent Blanc isn't taking ownership. Textor... Not really, but that's early days for him, so we'll, we'll give him time. You see certain players who are meant to be leaders uh, keep making the same mistakes and having the same attitude, I mean, uh, or just not delivering. I think Tolisso is a good example. Nothing wrong with his attitude, but he just plays completely the opposite way of the way the club would like him to play. Anthony Lopez is known for his outburst, and when you see Alexandre Lacazette getting sent off yesterday for a petulant kick when he's meant to be the leader on the pitch and the captain, then I think there's something wrong going on at the club. So, you know, for me, Lyon, they've been difficult to predict. Um, there's there's a lot of talent still at the club. I'm sure they will bring one or two more players. And they've uh, they've been heavily linked with Nuama from uh, North Zealand, uh, who looks like a very exciting player and would do them a lot of good. In the hands of someone other than Laurent Blanc, some, a progressive manager uh, who organizes them well and consistently. There's enough talent and enough uncertainty in the league for them to aim high and get back into Europe. I think if they still suffer from that, you know, big club delusion and they don't make changes, then we've seen the likes of Saint-Etienne and Bordeaux go down. And I'm not saying they would go down this season, but they would be on the path to a negative cycle. I'm very much uh, someone who believes in the, uh, the dynamic at a club and when you have, and I think it's the same when you know when you work in an environment, right? When everybody's happy and everybody's feeling invested, everybody um, you know pushes themselves and pushes their colleagues higher. When you've got a really negative dynamic in your work environment, you know no one's helping each other, and I think that's what you're seeing at Lyon at the moment. And finally, Baptiste, who else in France should our listeners be on the lookout for in Liga One this season? Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Rennes. I, you know, I, I think the way they've gone about building the club over the last decade or so, and the choices they've made in terms of signings, 
I think are very coherent, make a lot of sense. It's going to be a big season for Pep Genesio, but they have wonderful academy players coming through the ranks. The two Douai brothers are really something uh, to look forward to. Even uh, Gela Desiree's young, I think younger brother, I can't remember if he's a younger brother, uh, you know, is basically the second right back at the moment at the club, and they haven't invested in another right in another right back. So, a big show of confidence. And they've, you know, the signings they've made over the last few years, Amin Guiri, Enzo Lefe, Ludovic Blas, you know, they're real statements of intent. So I think they're, they're a club that I'm very high on. Obviously, they started last week with an absolute bang by destroying Mess. And I think that's what you can see uh, when they're in, on a good day. They're, I'm not going to say unstoppable, but they're certainly one of the best football playing sides in France. The problem with them has always been the youth and the consistency or lack thereof and question marks over Bruno Genesio and his management, whether he's capable of taking them to her highest, highest level. But I, you know, I've earmarked them for third, which is quite ambitious, but they've finished fourth over the last two seasons. I think that's the glass ceiling they need to break. And when I look at their squad, I don't see any reason why they can't, they can't reach that. I mean, if you want to go... Uh, you know, we've mentioned Strasbourg. If you want to go a bit lower down, I think um, one of the great stories of the last few years is Clermont. I think what they've achieved is unbelievable. They have kept their identity. They've trusted in what makes them great and what's what's worked for them. And I think there's something really admirable about the way they've gone about their business. And they're ambitious in the way they play. So, you know, they're not they're not just here to sit back and and uh, put te- you know ten men behind the ball. They they really take it to to other teams. And when you see them play at the Gabriel Montpied, and there's you know twelve thousand people in in a stadium that looks from the eighties, and and everybody's really close to the pitch, and and there's a real real underdog story uh, and feel to that club. And they keep over delivering with the stories of Pascal Gassien and his son, the captain, who'd never managed or player that played at that level before i think it's just a wonderful story and and a club that will surprise a lot of people in in the way they play and and uh, without any any big names i think they're a real um they embody what's really great about football is is a genuine team spirit it's funny baptiste we were talking off here about our shared love for Liga on and i think that club you've closed with just summarizes it in, in reality, isn't it? It's that fabric of real football, real stadium, not polluted with commercial mm. stuff. Claremont's just the pure essence of French football, ain't it? Absolutely. I think their budget last season was 22 million euros for the whole club. And, uh, and they just go about their business quietly and, They've built up a fan base. You know, I imagine people are clairement love going to the football, even though it's a big, uh, it was a big rugby, t- it's a big rugby town as well. And uh, and they've just gone about it with total humility, uh, trying to build something sustainable for the club. They're very realistic about the fact that this is just an enjoyable ride, in which you know on which they are. And uh, but they're not lacking ambition e- either. And you know, it's quiet understated ambition i think people should uh pay more attention to that club because it's an admirable club and we'll see third season tends to be can be difficult i think that's slightly my fear for them because you've 
you know, you've overperformed over the last two seasons and it might be the season when people start feeling a bit comfortable when they shouldn't. But um, but there's something great about that club and they need to be, I think they need to be recognized a bit more widely for what they've achieved. Really. The job Pascal Gatti has done is comparable to any, I think, that, um, that's been done in Liga over the last few seasons. Baptiste, thank you so much for your time. We hope to catch up with you again during this season. Enjoy all the action. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for having me. And yeah, we'd love to come back and uh, enjoy the league action. Thank you, Baptiste. Good talk to you all day, my friend. Can't wait to have you on again. There is some rising stars in Liga on at this point already. Three of them are previewed in this week's free newsletter, the Liga One Essential. Links are in the show notes. It's on Substack, completely free to your email inbox each month. Baptiste's Twitter handle is also in the show notes to keep abreast of all things League On. It is called the League of Talents for a reason. It is where many of Europe's shining lights hone their craft. Leon there were a big talking point in our interview with Baptiste. Laurent Planck, he had an interview recently after uh, another Leon demise. And they asked him what was wrong at the club. And he answered the journalist back by saying... Maybe they need a new manager. That shows you the level of dysfunction that's currently going on at Leon, rooted to the bottom of the table after two games. Please keep in touch with Baptiste for all your French football needs. You're listening to Eurotales, where European football stories are explored one at a time. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now to another exotic place, League One in the UK. After three managers last year and money troubles, Wigan fans deserve a break. They're a club rising like a phoenix from the ashes of a minus eight-point penalty to start the season. They're also under a transfer embargo. Instead of wilting like many they are unbeaten in their first four games. Let's get the lowdown from Charlie Keegan from the Wigan Central pod and blog. Former Premier League boys, Wigan Athletic have started the season with a plum in League One. Their season commenced with an eight-point deduction, but that is just a distant bump in the road now. Wigan have won three and drawn one to wipe out that deficit after just the first four games. We're joined by Charlie Keegan from the terrific Central Wigan blog and podcast. Welcome to the Eurotales Nest, Charlie. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I started the Central Wigan blog and podcast during COVID, I believe it was, when we weren't allowed in the stadiums and I'd had a season tickets for a lot of years. I was born in Wigan, followed them everywhere. So yeah, and I wanted a way to try and keep up with them when we couldn't go to the stadium. So a blog and a podcast was kind of the way that I thought was best to do it. And I've been doing it ever since. Your club is on fire, my friends. Your latest victims, the much fancy Bolton Wanderers, crushed in a derby 4-0 win away from home. What is going on at your beloved team? It's been a wild ride for the last sort of 10 years. I don't think we've had a season since we've been relegated from the Premier League where it's not been boring. Uh, we've definitely been entertaining, either been great football or terrible off-field things. It's never been a dull one, but this season's been a difficult one to start. The minus eight's always going to be very difficult to come back from, but I think we've done it brilliantly well and we're playing such good football that I think is probably the best I've seen 
at this level for, for a lot of years that we've been in League One. I think this is some of the best football we've been playing. So, obviously, it's a long season. You've got 46 games to play. It's not going to be easy all the way throughout. We're not going to uh, be playing this way the entire time. But it's a great start now to have got rid of the minus points and now to be able to reset and, and start pushing for new goals. So, now I'm very excited how this... And this eight-point deduction, mate, Tell our listeners how that stiff sentence came about. It was a long time coming, but also everything happened very, very quickly. But if you actually, if you look back to when Phoenix took over us, they took over us when we'd just gone into administration and we were in it for a long time. And we were, we were about a week away from the, the doors being closed for a lot, for probably forever, to be honest. It was that grim of a time. And then this company, Phoenix, when Bahrain came in and there was a big publicity stunt and a PR stunt to to look like they were the guys to take over and they were they were going to be great for us. And then the walls started dropping and the promises they made never really came to fruition, never really happened. They managed to get us promoted into the championship, which was great. But then once we're in there, that's when the payment wages, uh, the late payments started to happen, players and staff not getting paid on time. Some of it we didn't hear about at the start. And then once we did start to hear about it more and more, I think we ended up getting to five or six months where they didn't pay uh, the players or the staff, or they paid some people but not others. And the EFL ended up getting involved and they said, you need to put 125% of your monthly projected forecasted month uh, wage bill or whatever it was into an account so that if you don't pay the players and the staff again, we can go in and get it. You have this deadline. The owners went, yep, okay, we, uh, we acknowledge it. We will pay it. They never did. We all then went to the stadium to have a meeting with the chairman and he basically sold us a load of lies about what he was doing, made the plan sound great. And we all walked away going, okay, it sounds like there's a plan. We have no control over it as supporters and and fan groups and all this. So we kind of had to trust him and he immediately let us down. And again, it started to, to tail off and the EFL suspended points deductions and then they had to implement them because it was our owner's duty to, to pay the fines and they never did. So we're seeing a few clubs. I think Morecambe have just been hit with a similar thing today. Reading as well. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of these owners in the Football League who don't have the best interests of the club and we got a really bad one as well. So thankfully, uh, Mike Danson has now taken over. He's Wigan born and bred, has the club at heart. He obviously has a big interest in the rugby as well. He has a stake in that. So I like the way that it's going. I like, uh, I like the future with Mike Danson. Do you feel that sort of point deduction, it sort of unified the club like a siege mentality, like when a team goes down to 10 men? Yeah, it's always a difficult one, I think, because we've just been we've been so fresh out of the administration as well. I mean, the, Dave Whelan sold us in 2018, I think it was November time, to the IEC, and we had loads of problems with the IEC. They're the ones that put, in, put us into administration overnight, effectively. And these sort of wounds are still very, very fresh in the community at Wigan. And then to go through a similar thing again, it was just so painful for everybody to go through. But everybody pulled together in the administration. And again, everybody pulled through so well uh, during this one. And you saw a lot of fans putting money into the club just to try and keep us afloat. There was a lot of uh, Kickstarters and crowdfunders trying to get money in to, to support the people who weren't getting paid. So... We had a lot of players stick around as well. There's some players that cancelled the contracts and moved on, and that's totally fine. That's their call and going to go off and, and have their own career. But there's a lot of players that have stayed, even through a lot of tough times, not getting paid. And uh, There is a real big community, and it just shows that poor owners are going to come, poor owners are going to go, but the community and the fans are, are what keeps everything together. And we're very thankful that we've got that.
And your manager, former player Scott Sean Maloney, always seen at the side of Belgium's dugout San Roberto Martinez. How good of a job is he doing? He's been brilliant. And even under the previous ownership when we had Phoenix and he was there, we could see that he was putting something together. He just couldn't quite do it with the people who were sitting above him. But now he's got somebody who does back him and gives him the confidence. And he's just outstanding. And obviously we went through everything with Colo Torre and that just was something that just was never really going to work. It was such, I don't know, a huge roll of the dice and it backfired massively. We all we all wanted it to work because after Liam Richardson being sacked, we, we didn't really know which direction we were going to go in. And when you get a manager in, I just said that we needed somebody who had the sort of family values of the club and also understood it very well. And when they brought in Colo Torre, I thought, okay, <laughs> he needs to surprise me because I don't, I don't see it in this guy. And unfortunately, it just didn't work at all. And then when Sean Maloney, he was rumoured to, to be coming to us after Liam Richardson anyway, and he never got the job. Colo Torre ended up getting it. So when his name popped up again, I did a little bit of digging with him. And there's a great article that the coaches Voice did, which show Sean Maloney, his progress from being a player to the Hibs manager when that all went down. Then he went, worked with Roberto Martin as a Belgium, obviously who he played for anyway, at Wigan. And just how he worked at Belgium, going around and he would go and meet every single player in their home countries, wherever they were playing. And he'd go and meet the families and he'd go and watch the games from the stands. He'd understand everything. And he wanted to understand the game better as a manager, understand it from a man management style, but also just see all these different tactics around the world. What's working? How do they play? And then he was taking all this in and the coach's voice article, you know, articulates that very well. And then now is the first time he's really been able to put it into practice and He's been doing incredibly well and his recruitment style, he's been talking about a data-driven model that he wants to do. And we've just promoted Gregor Riok from our academy, the head of the academy, and he's now our sporting director, which I like that we've kept it in-house. And it's them two together working on this data-driven model. And yes, we're under a transfer embargo by the EFL. We can't pay any fees for anybody. But the free transfers and the loans they've been bringing in through this data-driven model has been fantastic. Like Matt Smith's come through. And he's incredible. We got him on a free after his contract expired from Arsenal. Tied him down to a three-year deal. And in the first four games, I think he's one of the best midfielders I've seen in a long time. So it's obviously working. Whatever he's, whatever he's doing behind the scenes, it's working so well. And Maloney, he was part of that historic FA Cup winning team, wasn't he? Surely a fan favourite, would you? Yeah, well, he, he provided the assist. So he was on the corner, wow. the one that whipped it in for Ben Watson. So he's always been the player that we love. That goal against Manchester United, I'm sure people have seen time and time again, the one where he cuts in and then loops it around. And it's just, he's one of them players that we all absolutely adored. And sometimes when you bring players, the people who've played for you, when you bring them back as managers, you all think like, is this just to try and get the fans on side? But this is a brilliant uh, tactical appointment. And he's, I like that he's here and he definitely understands it. And I, I was thankful to have met him at the stadium. And he go, he went around the room and he shook every single person's hand and he even knew everybody's name. He must have been briefed or something before it, but he made sure that he knew everybody, which you don't, I don't think you really find in a lot of managers. So he's a, he's a very, very good appointment and one that I hope we have for a very long time. And stability seems to be what you're yearning for, Charlie, after having three different managers last season. Yeah, I think stability is just, not even just as a manager style, but just as a as a whole club. We just want the stability now for 
for a couple of seasons. Like I was saying before, we've not really had a boring season. I would love it. I don't think we're going to get it this season. It's going to have a lot of highs and inevitably probably will have a low. But yeah, no, I just want, I want a season that I can just enjoy without the pressure of off-field things and managerial uh, sackings or anything. I want Maloney to be here for a few seasons and I want us just to be very stable as a club. <laughs> That's all I'm dreaming of. Like you said, the, the story of Wicked is a really intriguing one. A big part of that story is Charlie White. Four games, five goals league one this year. What a story he is. To give our listeners some background on the informed striker, could you explain his journey back from suffering a cardiac arrest back in 2021? Yeah, so we ended up getting him from Sunderland, I believe it was. And when he came in, I thought, incredible signing. He's a player that everybody's kind of known about in the Football League for a long time. He's just a name that everybody kind of knows. And I had such high hopes for him. And it, I think it was a training session on a Monday. I can't remember the game we were preparing for. But he apparently went over to the to the manager and the coach and he said he feels lightheaded and all of a sudden collapsed. And the manager, and it was Liam Richardson at the time, and the club doctor, Jonathan Tobin, were the ones who looked after him and resuscitated him and managed to get him in a stable condition, enough for him to go to hospital. So effectively saved his life right there and then. But then when something as big as a cardiac arrest happens, especially to an athlete, you immediately go to, this is a retirement thing now. He's never going to really recover from this. But we've heard from the doctor, we've heard from the managers that the dedication to just getting himself right and then getting himself fit again just as a human being and being able to, you know, function. But then to come back and have the journey to go, right, I want to become an athlete again, I'll be back playing football again. And I don't know if there was some reluctancy from the staff going, you don't need to push yourself like this, but apparently he was just so driven to, to get there. And then to have the pre-season and then to come back in and, and fire like he has, he's just come back so dedicated. But the football he's playing is incredible anyway. It doesn't. It doesn't even matter that he's come back from a cardiac arrest as well. That the the football he's playing is brilliant. He's just one of the front men that I've always kind of wanted at Wigan. Somebody who's not afraid to get muscly. And Josh McGinnis does that as well. He really makes it hard for the defence. But just the footwork of Charlie White and his ability to understand the play is, is incredible. So you tie that in with the journey back from having a cardiac arrest. It's one hell of a story that. Uh, thankfully you don't see a lot in football because you never want that to happen but it's it's a it's a brilliant one he's your christian erickson isn't he he, he really is yeah it's amazing another charlie who looks set for the big time is youngster charlie hughes how impressed are you with the young 19 year old defender he came in during the colo torre reign he was a we had a lot of centre-back injuries, I think. Jack Watmore was struggling a little bit with injuries last season. Jason Kerr ended up getting an ACL injury. And we we kind of had to look to the academy to bring somebody in. And Charlie was a name that was always being bounded around, as was James Carragher, uh, Jamie Carragher's son. He's in our academy as well. He, however, went to Oldham and he ended up getting an injury. So he was out for the season. But Charlie ended up stepping up and he just incredible when he came in and it's always going to be very very difficult to to jump from academy level at under 21 to go straight up to the senior level but it never really looked like it phased him and his passing ability it can ping a ball all the way down the field no problem he's a he's a tall guy he's quite stocky so he can muscle off the the attackers no problem really hold his own and i worried a little bit going into this season because his integration into the first team has always been really with jack watmore to the side of him and when Jack's contract ended and he's ended up going to Preston, 
I thought, okay, this might be a bit of a, a wobble for Charlie. He's going to have to get used to a whole new defence. And Liam Morrison, Cal Watts have come in, Sean Clare to the right of him at the right-back position. I wasn't sure how he was going to do, but he, he looks like he's been playing senior football for the last like three or four years. And he's, to be honest, he's taken his standard <laughs> even higher than last year. And he looks phenomenal. And I wouldn't be surprised if it does... A lot of bigger clubs come in swooping for him at some point, and he's um, yeah, he's definitely one of the best academy talents that I've seen for a long, long time come out of our club. He's incredible. he looks amazing. That that's why I had to ask him. I had to raise him to you when I had you on. And the important thing, as you said there, even if they are looking at him, you've got him on a long term deal, though, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's one of the most incredible things I've seen us do in the, in the recent history of us as well is tie him down to a long-term contract, which we've seemed to have done with quite a lot of the players as well. We've had uh, Joe Adams, who's another one that is coming through our academy at the minute, and there's a few uh, academy people saying that he's one of the next ones to watch. We've just signed him for a longer deal. Barbara Adiko has just signed on for a longer deal as well, and he's come straight in, and he's been phenomenal. Tello Asgard, I think, is the 2028, I believe. And he's one that's been around, I think he's just played his 100th game or coming up to his 100th game. Uh, so he's been with us for a while, but he's still young. I think he's 21, 22. So he's uh, luckily going to be with us for a while as well. But no, to get Charlie on a long-term deal, is, is it's really good for us. Do you expect any more transfer activity, mate, before the end of the window? I think we're going to be looking at left-back. Our academy left-back, who was playing as captain for the under-21s, Luke Robinson, he's... He was at uh, Tranmere Rovers last year, but he got a bad leg injury. So he missed all the season. So he's kind of a wasted loan. He didn't really learn anything apart from a rehabilitation phase. So he's ended up going out today, actually, to St. Johnston in the Scottish Premiership, which we saw Graham Shinney go there last year. He was at Aberdeen. Uh, Stephen Humphreys was at Hearts, and he's come back and he's firing this year. So I think the Scottish Premiership is a good level to go to and try and fight for a position to then come back to a League One, uh, to a League One club. Then that'll be really good for Luke. Outside of that, I'm not too sure. Our squad depth isn't great right now, which is kind of to be expected in the position that we're in. So maybe one or two academy players could go out on loan. Like Luke Brennan might not be getting first team football, so it might be good for him to go to a Scottish Premiership or go to a, a League Two club. Um, outside of that, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I, I think we're going to have to bring in another left back with Luke Robinson going because. Outside of Tom Pierce, we don't really have much left-back cover unless we go to a left wing-back and maybe you've got Jordan Jones who can fill in that, that sort of place. So, yeah, I think, obviously, like I said before, we're under transfer embargo. We can't pay a fee for anybody. So it will have to be a loan or a free transfer. But, yeah, outside of that, I'm not too sure. And only one team has scored more goals than we can in League One this season. And ironically enough, they're your next opponents, Barnsley. How are you feeling going into the game? Can you continue this early season surge you're on? I hope so. And I was actually on a, a Barnsley fan preview before I was talking to one of their fans. And I was, he's not confident at all. He said that the 7-0 win took everybody by surprise. And it's one of their, one of our former players, sorry, Devante Cole, is the one that was firing for them. So he's at Barnsley. So that's going to be quite interesting to see him. But he said that since that game against Port Vale, they've had a 1-1 draw and then 2-3-1 losses. And he said they're just crumbling under quite a... If somebody pressurises them, they crumble a little bit. And if people go and look at our game against Bolton, the pressure that we were putting on them was incredible and Bolton just collapsed. So if we can go to there and, and, and put on the pressure again and try and fight for every ball, 
there's every chance that we could we could have another good game. I do think that we need to have maybe a big challenge thrown up against us. And Carlisle did that where we came away with a 1-1 draw. They were quite strong in the defence, but really we should have had the game put to bed at half-time. But they really held their own and they did well and they came back and got the, the equaliser in the second half. And I think we need another one of those games, maybe just to give us another wake-up call saying, OK, you've had a good start to the season, but this is a long season and you're going to hit hard opponents. But that said, I do think that, like the Barnsley fan was saying, if we can go and play the way that we have been doing, we might come away with the with a win there, which I obviously hope for. <laughs> we need to start climbing this table now to make all these wins and points actually go to points because uh, yeah, it's strange having such a good start to the season, but you're on plus two points. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I met a friend, he's, he's a brummy. He bet on Bolton in Azaki the weekend. He was course and week and he didn't realise you guys starting on minus eight. He goes, oh, they were way down the table. Finally, <laughs> Charlie, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is promotion on the cards despite this minus eight deduction? I think if it is going to be on the cards, it's going to be through the playoffs. I, I really don't think that even though we've had a good start to the season, the top two places are always up for grabs and it's always two very, very good teams that are up there, obviously. So I think that squad depth is going to be an issue for us. So I expect us to have a lull, usually see it around Christmas time. But if we can get to there and get to the January transfer window and you know look around the loan market and try and bring in some people, I think top six might be on the cards. But then again, we also need to look at the club infrastructure with... We're still very fresh off a, off a big problem with, with owners. And Mike Danson, yes, he has the money and he's got the strong business mind, but we need to make sure that if we are going to try and push for promotion, then we need to do it in a, in a very logical way because the last time we got promoted and went to the championship, it really messed us up financially. So that we also have to look at that aspect. But from a footballing sense, yes, it would be great to, to see us go up, but I can't see us getting in any other way apart from the playoffs. But I was saying also before, Playoffs are dangerous because unless if you don't win it, your best players will get poached. So it's a double-edged sword. If you're going to go in the playoffs, try and win it. Don't, it's a don't big get stage, out. isn't it? It really is. really is. Charlie, thanks so much for your time. Will you tell our listeners where they can catch your podcast and your great blog? Yeah, so the podcast is on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, and I believe it's on other ones as well. It's wherever the, the host sends it, usually. I just don't know them all off, off the top of my head, but... Everything is linked on my Twitter page or X, whichever, whatever it's called today. So that's just at Central Wigan. Everything's always linked on there. And that's where you can you can usually find me on there. I'll put all the links in the show notes too. Charlie, thanks so much. Wigan will be intriguing to watch for the rest of the season. And any Brummies out there, don't bet against them in your Aki again. <laughs> Cheers, Charlie. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, mate. The high-profile appointment of Cole Toure did not work out for Wigan, but they seem to have found their man in former player and legend Sean Maloney. They have a real head of steam built up, and they are a club on the rise to redemption after some truly tough times. Their fans deserve it. Thank you so much, Charlie, for your in-depth knowledge with the club, he took us right into the halls of power there and explained the turbulent times Wigan supporters have been through. This week, they're against fellow high scorer Barnsley. It will be interesting to see, as Charlie alluded to, if Barnsley can resist the Wigan press that has been oh so effective at this start of the season. They are ahead 
of five clubs already, despite starting on that minus eight deficit. Keep an eye on them. They're a club on the rise. Euro Tales. Euro Tales. Well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much to our guests this week and to you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Please rate and review our show on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. It's so important to us growing and attracting guests. They check out the podcast. If we don't have any ratings or reviews, they go, uh, why bother? Who would? Give us five stars, right? Brilliant. Great. Whatever you can think of, it'll take you literally eight seconds. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening. Don't miss us between episodes. Simply follow our socials, links in the show notes, or simply search at EuroTalesPod on Twitter. Podcast Network.